What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Matthew Anthony Hawkins here with another Around Town in Chilliwack podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You know what? Around Town in Chilliwack started with this very podcast two years ago. And uh, I felt passionate that we needed something, a hub, a connection point for Chilliwack so people could see all the great things that are happening in this city. We're looking for people that are interested in advertising with us or partnering with us in creating various content for your local business. Go to aroundchilliwack.ca, click on contact, get in touch with us, and we'll make something happen. All right, folks, this podcast episode is with none other than David Jimmy. I hope you enjoy. Here I am with uh, David Jimmy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for doing this. Yeah. Never done a podcast before. Never done a podcast. It's something totally new. Good. Yeah. Well, we should have some fun. Um. Tell me a bit about yourself. Who who is David Jimmy? Oh, that's a tricky question. We're not gonna we we don't have to do like a full biography or anything. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, currently, you know, working in a in a few different roles. Uh, one primarily as chief of Squiala. Um and then over the years, I'm in my eighth year of of being chief. Uh, over the years, kind of progressed into different roles and. Uh, was asked to to let my name stand for president of Stalwa Nation and president of the Chilquaic tribe. So, taking on those roles, sit on a bunch of boards, um, play some hockey, snowboard with my kids. Long long time Chilliwack guy. Born and raised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I moved away uh, back in two thousand six, I believe it was, till two thousand eight. Okay. Well, what were you doing during that time? I moved up to West Bank. Well, Kelowna and then West Bank. So yeah. I was building uh, three apartment buildings up there. Oh, wow. So you were in construction then? or? Yep. Had a construction company. Um, so built uh, over 200 houses here in Chilliwack. Three apartment buildings in West Bank. Um, and just ramping up to, to start all over again. Yeah? Yeah. So how'd you get into the construction business? Uh, it was while I was going to school in the summertime, I was just looking for... Uh, some additional work and so I ended up doing some concrete forming uh, for red line structures it was a fellow by the name of Pete Van Maren uh, September was rolling around I'd be going back to school he talked about his brothers and uh, what they were doing with development and everybody knows the Van Maren group of companies here in town mm-hmm. um, how well well established they are and in, in their reputation and that they were interested in in looking into doing some development on reserve uh, one thing led to another. I ended up um, doing a little more in construction, uh, formed a partnership, and uh, started working with closely with Eric Van Maren. Uh, I started my company, and, and they gave me a, a good opportunity to, to get things rolling with um, Halcyon Meadows here in town. Yeah. Uh, and from there, we, we just, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better partner. Uh, yeah. Somebody that tells you straight how it is, uh, guys that know the business, they know how to how to build a project well. Uh, they know how to deal with their customers, and you know there was there was nothing behind the scenes, yet no BS with trades or anything like that. It was just everything was straight up, and uh, I was very fortunate to learn from them and, and, yeah, and sure. build that relationship. So and then they let me, you know, also invest in in future projects and and partner again. So um, wonderful opportunity, and try to make the most of it. So do you feel uh, what you learned during that time has helped you in your, your current position? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
it was it was funny because when I first started, uh, you know, I, I had done it. I did everything on site. So, you know, whether it was uh, jumping in the bobcat, grabbing material, dumping it off, backfilling, um, yeah. sweeping out crawl spaces, jumping on a jackhammer, uh, loading material, you name it. I was I was kind of doing it on site. So you really get to know a little bit about everything uh, through the process, and in that. Uh, really gave me the appreciation of of how projects are built and what to watch for and and so that was one aspect of it the other was once you start dealing with trades and you're dealing with coordination and um, trying to you know make sure that everybody on site is making money that's the the end goal and you're yeah when people are are not uh, totally happy you need to try and figure it out so you're doing a little problem solving at the same time yeah as a general contractor and uh, so they they really did give me a a, a wonderful opportunity. And, and I, I think I grew from that. Uh, if you look at where I was when I started to where I got to, I felt like I was two totally different people. And then now I'm like someone <laughs> totally, totally different. So when you first got into construction and, uh, you're doing the concrete, mm-hmm. did you picture yourself like where you are now? Like, did you <laughs> foresee that at all or have a goal for that? Or no, I, uh, I remember actually we were building a waste disposal, uh, uh, place out in Langley and I got onto the site you know you're the new guy on site uh, I'd done a bunch of the different odd jobs and and uh, when you're pouring concrete walls sometimes you're going to get so you know they're not aligning exactly uh, mm-hmm. perfectly and and so you'd have to take kind of a you know a bush jackhammer uh, and sort of hammer out the seams right so I started on this and I think two weeks went by I was on this thing and <laughs> and my boss he he never took he told me later he goes I never took you off it because he never complained about it right everybody else was on it for a day or two and they were done so but you just kept going so I left you <laughs> <laughs> if I would have known maybe I would have tried to get off it a little quicker but uh again I think it's um being able to sort of having work ethic I think is such a critical yeah. thing growing up and and that's something that my dad and my mom had always instilled in me. So, yeah. Yeah. So you recently, uh, had to not had to, you chose to share at uh, TEDx Chilliwack. Mm-hmm. How'd you find that for a platform on, on sharing actually? And before we start, uh, we're going to crack open a bottle of juicy tropical hopped sour from old Yale. You haven't <laughs> tried this yet. I haven't tried it. No. So one of the things that goes with podcasting is drinking beer <laughs> and usually craft beer. So okay. we'll, uh, I'll let you talk about TEDx Chilliwack here. Sure. Um, yeah, a unique experience, something that I, I wasn't really planning for. And, and you know, I, I'm my own worst critic all the time. So when I... Have you watched the video I back? Did, I did watch it. And I could... I can did pick, it drive you nuts? Oh, I can pick that thing apart. <laughs> and it was hard to, de- to develop or determine what would be your... What's the best approach to it? Who's the audience? Where are you trying to accomplish through this? And um, I had to kind of feel that if I'm talking about building relationships and, and you know this concept of breaking down barriers, it was really about um, not the audience that I'm with all the time. So we all work in our own environments and our own bubbles, and we're so used to that that those conversations happen all the time. Um, so I had to think that I'm outside of this bubble. I'm trying to get people to relate a little bit or just at least peel back a little bit of that layer of, a, of what I would say is a barrier 
uh, in just understanding one another and, and sort of educating each other or learning about each other. And so that's why I felt, you know, I was a little bit vulnerable in it, um, telling some personal stories, but telling those stories on purpose mm-hmm. um, to, to show that what I thought was normal growing up wasn't necessarily normal for everybody. Right. And so that experience, I mean, a, a great experience, if I could do it over again, I know I would have, you know, I missed a few points I would have liked to, to hammer down on or, or get provide some clarity on. And um, I think I just, I, I would have tried to think of a more, a bit of a, a creative way to deliver the message. So you right. want it to stand out. You want to, you know, think of a storyline or something that you can tie it back to. And and it was just, uh, I, you know, I learned from it. So yeah. yeah. Have you done much public speaking like that then? Over the years now, I, I have. Um, growing up, I wasn't a public speaker. Uh, so over the last few years, since becoming chief, you know, in my eighth year now or ninth year now, uh, more so over the last few years, I think the more you take on different roles, you end up um, doing a lot more public speaking when right. you're representing a community. Um, you know, we have a number of, of ceremonies that take place in the community, unfortunate circumstances of loss uh you become the voice of the people so you know i've had some really difficult times in trying to express feeling or or hold it together to to share on behalf of families that you know you're the spokesperson for the family yeah and i can recall um one year it must have been within eight months i wrote uh probably eight eulogies wow and you don't have time to process sometimes you're, you're so you're shutting things off and you're just being that taking on a role that you have to on behalf of the community or on, be, or on behalf of the family. Yeah. And so you don't take the time yourself to necessarily grieve in some cases. You're just, you know, yeah, you're trying to take the yeah, role on. And- yeah. Here's how I can help. Here's what we need to do. Um, my mother had, had played a big role in the community has always played a big role in the community like that. And, I think that's where I get it from. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So going back to construction, you worked till 2008. Yep. And then, then what did you do after that? Oh, and cheers, by the way. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. I hope you like sour beers. Oh, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> beer's good. I, um, 2008, we were finishing up a project in uh, West Bank. So we had done quite well. We pre-sold uh, in all three buildings. Wow. And as we were finishing up 2008, everybody knows the market was starting to change a little bit. Uh, we weren't seeing as strong a, a position, I think, not as a, not affected as much here in, in BC. Um, but I didn't have anything lined up, so I ended up buying a, a ticket. It was an around-the-world ticket, and I went traveling for under a year. Um, so can you just like go to a travel agent and buy, uh, <laughs> like, how do you get a ticket like that? Uh, they have them. So they, they, um, they structure them how, however they do, but basically essentially what you're doing is you're looking on the map and you're saying, I, you know, if I'm going to go starting in Europe and then make my way through Africa and into the middle East and then over to Southeast Asia and then start making my way back through, you know, Australia and New Zealand, yeah, they'll structure those tickets that way. Okay. 
So that's what I did. Um, in some cases, you know, I was just flying into London and then flying out to uh, South Africa. Right. But when I landed in London, I could extend my stay. So then I just started buying all the cheap flights, you know, here and there. And, and so toured around Europe for a while. Wow. Uh, yeah. But my uh, my mom's from England. So okay, spent some time visiting with my grandma and my family uh, before carrying on and just kept motoring. Yeah. Yeah. So any major highlights for you that along the trip that you? So many, I think. Um, uh, southernmost tip of Portugal, a place called Sagres, uh, was one of the highlights for sure. I did a, a surf camp there. Wow. And I ended up um, staying an extra week. I met a, a this guy by the name of, his, his name was Junior. And ironically, my, my younger brother, his name is Junior, and and uh, he was like the same size. Yeah. Had the same hair, had the same demeanor. <laughs> wow. That'd be weird. Yeah. And so uh, we just hit it off. He was, he wasn't from there, but he was just a, a really nice guy. Ended up staying a little longer. It was one of these places that, you know, off the beaten path from the tourists. So yeah, you get the surfer groups coming through, but you go into town, there was one, uh, one bank machine kind of thing and a little grocery store, but not a whole lot to it. So it's a pretty unique experience. Yeah, for sure. That was one. Another was I did some volunteer work in, in Dola. Uh, it was in Zambia. And an eye-opener when you get there. Yeah. You're trying to assess where you are and, and just the different environment and the culture. And, you know, you're going through a bit of that culture shock and, and trying to comprehend everything. And Had you traveled much before this? Uh I had done Europe back in when I was, oh, it must have been around 2000 or so. Yeah. yeah. But to have the culture shock like that, had you seen anything like that before? Like, or is that kind of a. Yeah, I, I would say not so much because I think I've seen that here in our own country and on reserves. Right. So that type of, uh, there was a, severe poverty and in standard of living that was different and and i'd seen that growing up in some of the communities um, not all of them but there are some of our communities right here in bc that uh still you know are struggling with power you know just just on the other side of the harrison for example um they didn't get rid of their generators until about five years ago that's crazy yeah so running on an entire community on diesel generators um so you see, I, I had seen some of it, different, totally different context. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was sitting around the, the fire and talking with locals, um, it takes a while for them to warm up to you, depending on, you know, they're trying to figure out who you are, where you're from, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and then once the relaxed atmosphere is there, you start to learn a little bit more and, and you hear a little bit about their culture and, and some of the traditions that they have that were very similar to some of the stuff we do. Mm-hmm. So it was a very... Um, eye-opening experience and yeah, made some good relationships there and but you could just tell the difference in how people treat each other yeah in some of the remote remote uh, townships they would call them like the little villages where you'd have like five thousand people living in a township and um their little huts and they're cooking over their coals and there's no running water you know like that they're all walking miles to get their water bring it back there was a different sense of how um, men treated 
and not all, but some men had treated uh, some of the kids. Right. And you could just see it. And it was a, an authoritative type of role. And that was something to get used to and felt a little awkward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah. Uh, but you have to also be mindful you're in a different place and you have to respect the different cultures that exist there and how they may, their whatever, if it's a matriarchal society or if it's a patriarchal society, uh, you really have to kind of remind yourself that you're in their territory and yeah. things may be different. So Yeah, stay a fly on the wall. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so upcoming, we've got the RBC Cup coming out. And you've been uh, on the campaign trail, really. Mm-hmm. How's that uh, working out? It's good. Um, oh, we just did an interview yesterday on on Global, which was uh, my first time uh, doing a, a TV interview like that. Uh, we've been pretty vocal locally, just trying to spread the word. Uh, we've been out pounding the pavement, you know, and ensuring that we can get as much done locally with uh, support from businesses and getting those involved. Our volunteers have been absolutely amazing. Uh, those that have come forward to as our uh, committee uh, chairs have, have done great work. Uh, I don't think we'd be able to do this if we didn't have all of those people coming forward. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super excited. It's not something again that I was, I don't think fully understanding when I got into it and <laughs> how big this was or what we were looking to accomplish. And then the more you, as it gets closer, I mean, we're a week away or a few days away. Yeah. Um, the excitement's there, the, the buzz is in town, the, um, you know, to see these young players come and. So there's five teams, five teams. Yep. Chilliwack obviously being one of them. And who are the other four? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> Wellington, uh, Wenatchee, Chilliwack, um, what's the other name? Uh, Ottawa and one more. It's a different name. I'll have to, you're going to force <laughs> me to look. Yeah, this is bad coming from the co-chair of the RBC Cup. <laughs> okay. But the teams were just announced over the last. That's right. Ago, I was so. just going to say they've been, they <laughs> kind of did like a promotion marketing campaign with that too, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and seeing Wenatchee is our Western team. Um, you know, although the, the Chiefs didn't, make it through to the finals uh, as host team they get to play and you look at our our record versus Wenatchee over the year um, I, I think we're all right you know I, I'm excited to see how the kids are going to do and, yeah. and react to um, the excitement that's built yeah you were saying already that they're uh, they've been really gearing up and, mm-hmm. and training and yeah they um, they all went I think I'm not 100% sure but I believe they all went home for a little bit and then came back and just started uh, full on training and getting ready because all the other teams as they're battling through, it's a long, long grind to get to the RBC cup and, uh, you know, they, it takes its toll. So a lot of the players f- facing injuries, uh, battle yeah. scars throughout that, that last run and the chiefs have been kind of, you know, sitting training hard, but, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully, uh, but our battle, uh, scarred yeah. and yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, looking forward to it. So you yourself, you play a little bit of hockey too, right? Yeah, played uh, played growing up. Didn't play any um, any major junior or anything like that, um, but I've always I've played my whole life. Yeah, yeah. And you are you're in the the same beer league that I am in. Very different level of team though. <laughs> uh, our team, we uh, we were the top of the bottom, if you want to call it that. And you guys were the top of the top. So uh, 
Well, in the 30 plus. In the 30 plus. Let's, <laughs> and it's a beer league. So just make sure everyone knows. Yeah, 30 plus beer league. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's no, good. It, it's fun though. You know, I, I, I've, I played the game growing up. Um, different experience. I think growing up, you know, my older brother always got all the new gear. I got the hand-me-downs. Right. Uh, parents sometimes couldn't always afford for us all to play rep. And, and so I would, um, some years I didn't play rep in it. You know, I was asking my mom about this actually the other day. I said, why didn't I play as much rep? You know, like I, I always thought, you know, Tony and my brother had always played and, and she said, actually, it wasn't really that important to you. You never really, you wasn't a big deal until yeah. you were older and then you, your friends were, so you wanted to, and then you started playing more. Right. But, um, no, I played, you know, just Chillac minor hockey and then played in some native tournaments, always played in native, native tournaments growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I heard you speak at uh, Canada Day at Townsend Park. Um, and it was, it, this last one was quite a big deal because everyone was celebrating the 150th birthday mm. of Canada. And you had some, uh, like you, you, you talked earlier about uh, working with the Van Marens and uh, guys that were straight to the point mm-hmm. and uh, no BS kind of approach. And you, you took this similar approach with, um, the, with first nations and how a lot of emotion and feelings behind mm-hmm. this celebration of 150. Yep. Cause for you, for the first nation community, it's not a 150th yeah. celebration. For thousands of years here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a, um, I had to, to give some thought to my participation and because we were seeing a lot of demonstrations across the country, uh, saying we should, should we be boycotting this? You know, we're, We've been around for thousands of years and 150 years. The last 150 years have not been great to First Nations in, in this country. Yeah, which is an understatement. <laughs> A very uh, heavy understatement. And and so my decision to participate was, and I said that, I believe in my, my remarks, was uh, I wasn't there necessarily to celebrate. I was there to participate. Mm-hmm. And think about how together now we move forward instead of thinking about the past. I don't, a lot of times I, I, I always acknowledge the past. I think you have to acknowledge the past, look at the present and then how we move forward. But, um, I'm cautious sometimes about staying too far into the past. Right. Um, those intergenerational impacts and traumas are still here and very prevalent in, in our communities. And we're finding ways to, to deal with them or, or to move forward. But, you know, I, I think for this next generation and generations to come, when they start to overcome those traumas and those impacts, we see this tremendous growth happening. And, and so that's why a lot of times, you know, you won't hear me as focused as much on, uh, the historical context, I guess. Uh, I, I acknowledge it. I know how, how awful it was. I see it firsthand, the impacts, but at the same time, I'm very much about being here right now and, and now I move forward. Do you, do you take some flack for that from your community? I don't take a lot of, most of the flack I, I think I get is probably behind the scenes or behind a screen, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> or behind your back. <laughs> yeah, behind my back. I, I know that I'm not the most liked person. I know that... Um, in my own community, things have changed over the years from when I was first elected to where I am now. 
And, and sometimes that's a result of, of simply when you have to say no to somebody, like we have all of these support policies in the community where we support everything from um, elders who are making below the BC poverty line to youth or children that can't afford to play sports where we pay for their equipment and registration fees uh, to new baby, new mothers that are struggling. Like we have all of these different programs and supports and we have criteria that you have to meet in order to be eligible for them. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, when you're simply looking at the policy and looking at how you're approving something and they don't meet criteria, you say no, it becomes personal. Yeah. And you're like, well, no, that's, I'm trying to explain this. <laughs> it's not personal. This is just how it is for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I, that flack, I think, I'm sure I, I get it. Uh, I, I'm not naive enough to think that. Well, you're in public office, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a hard place to be sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I've I've had some comments that have just dug right into me and and you know really taken me a while to to get over. Or um, when you you you're doing things for the right reason, and we're always taught like in, in part of our culture that. When you're doing it with a, a good heart and a good mind, uh, then there's no wrong way to do it. Right. And even though you do that and you still get criticized for it, that's sometimes a hard place to, you know, hard, yeah. hard to hear those types of comments or different comments. Yeah, for yeah. sure. One of the things you mentioned in your, your TEDx talk was, uh, you know, um, you were talking about the normal or what people see as normal. And uh, you talked about uh, First Nations government and how you've been forced to set up this, this structure mm-hmm. that is, isn't the way that you've always done it. Um, tell me a bit about that. Like, what, what's going on right now and what, what's your hope for the future? Oh, I guess if we're thinking about uh, current structure and what doesn't work, we've always been under... Uh, you know, under someone else's thumb since for the last 150 years. Right. Uh, and, and has that know, eased off in the last, it's only eased off because we've forced it. Yeah. Like I you've st- stood up and said enough's enough. Absolutely. We, we've, we've taken positions. And if you look at the number of court cases that have been won in favor of first nations, you know, in the last 30 years, um, that's where we're starting to see the shift. I think if, if those weren't taking place, if this, these stands and, and positions of, of um, saying, no, that's not acceptable and you can't do that to us as a people, I don't know if we would be seeing that movement happen. I think there's some, at the same time, in the same breath, I guess I should say, uh, that, yeah, things are starting to change with someone like Jody Wilson-Raybould as the Attorney General of Canada, who's grown up in a community uh, has spent some time in community politics as a counselor for her community, then moved on uh, to become a treaty commissioner, and then to move on again to become the regional chief of British Columbia. Uh, she understands the challenges, and now to be in the top spot as a cabinet minister in, in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, she's able to to really put forward some ideas and, and get people to give consideration to something uh, that it have really been a, a hard reality for our people for a long time. So yeah. um, on one hand, winning all of those cases, but on the other, when you've got somebody, we're, we're seeing our people uh, come up with 
you know, better educated. They're spending the time. They're learning. They're um, they're going ahead and and gaining the experience that you need in order to understand the inner workings of government to be able to make change. So we're we're seeing a, a big shift, I think, happen there too. Good stuff. Um, I'm a big uh, tragically hip fan. I, I don't know if you are, but. Um, the final concert, Gord Downey, and he had already been doing quite a bit of work for raising awareness with First Nations and mm-hmm. and uh, really trying to put the history at the forefront to say, look at this is what's gone on, and then showing the present that mm-hmm. there's still major issues. Um, did you watch that final concert at all? Yeah. And when he basically called out Trudeau and yeah, right, um, like for you, what 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 do you see when you see something like that happen? I mean, I, I, I love it, right? Like, how can you not, I think, coming from a, a small community and, and understanding it. And it's strange, you know, I have to say, growing up, again, you know, I go back to those comments about growing up normal or what you believe is normal. Yeah. You don't realize it until you're way older. I mean, probably right. e- even if you're not growing up on reserve or you're growing up outside of the reserve, you don't clue into those things until you're, until you're older. Right. But seeing that and hearing an actual, you know, someone who's who's gained that much respect and in, in taking a position uh, to be able to say that openly, you know, in, in his last moments, so to speak, yeah, um, that's powerful. How much that resonates and how much that actually has an impact is a different story because your audience in those situations. Um, you have people that love the tragically hip, but maybe don't agree with a position that he's taking and supporting right. and recognizing First Nations and the issues. Yeah. So it's great, love it, but at the same time, I'm also a realist that you know not everybody's of the same opinion. Yeah. But it's raised an awareness that you know a ton of people had never seen before. Yeah. So. So what are some things locally here in Chilliwack that? Um, Let's just chalk it up to ignorance mm-hmm. that people might not know what's going on that they can help out or, or be more aware or attentive to with our first. Because there's how many First Nation communities are around Chilliwack? Oh, we have 24 Stalo communities. Um, but that's from, say, you know, Langley um, right up to Hope. Right. Um, Yale yeah. kind of area. Um. That's a tough one. You know, I, I think there's always these misconceptions around what people might call a privilege of, of being First Nations or, right. um, you know, I hear comments of, of people that are complaining about a um, recognition of rights or, or a, a land, piece of land that we're negotiating for or something like that. And it's hard, it's a hard conversation to have because you're, you're saying, you know, we're not entitled to that. We've, we've had enough or, you know, I hear those types of comments. When's enough enough? Or when are you going to get over it? Those types of things. It's like, well, no, that's, you've had an entire country taken from you. And yeah. now, now take a look at the actual landmass of First Nation reserves across the entire country. Yeah. 0.03%. From 100%. 0.03. Like that is not any number to just take a look and say, yeah, that's enough. Or, or, or That's crazy that people would say that. And so, you know, resource development, I've, I've always been a big advocate of uh, if resource development takes place in our traditional territory, then our community should be involved in that. Mm-hmm. 
whether it's in some type of revenue sharing agreement or or whatever it may be but there needs to be some recognition and you know here is your traditional territory right uh, we shouldn't have to go through court case after court case to try to prove that we've got title over something when we've been here forever right um you know the the taxation piece i always hear lots of comments around taxation especially you know that we have eagle landing and and we're able to save some taxes there but people forget that majority of our people live off reserve so majority of our people work off reserve as well mm-hmm. and so we're Majority of our people are paying taxes. Majority of people are pay, are paying paying you know working in jobs and yeah. and doing that or paying uh, their property taxes every year. So there's that misconception as well. And and there's a benefit of saving a little bit in a certain instance to go buy something. Yeah. Uh, everyone seems to think, well, you know, when does that end? And and this is where I have a hard time because I I also get it. You know, I I can understand some of those comments to an extent because the people that are here right now aren't the same people that were here 150 years ago that were making decisions that were imposing this legislation on our people. Right. This is a different generation that's growing up. But at the same time, they have to remember that, uh, you know, you don't choose your... When, when you're born, you don't choose your language. You don't choose the color of your skin. Yeah. You don't choose the culture that you're going to follow or the religion that you're going to follow. You're born as a baby. And when I'm growing up, what's being taught to me is what I'm learning. And, mm-hmm. and so that's who I am as a person. Right. Did I grow up choosing that I wanted to be you know, on a reserve, restricted from doing certain things and then having to fight for certain things or, or you know, battling racism growing up? No. Yeah, that that we deal with the hand that we're dealt, and and I think that's sometimes people forget that, um, you know, we're just out saying, "Oh yeah, it's all ours. Give it to us." (laughs) You know, we want recognition. We want that affirmation of of rights and where we are. And and I think what's, um, it's very, you know, again, I, I grew up working my butt off to get to where I am. And that's no different than anybody else. So let's, you, you grew up in the reserve, mm-hmm. um, graduated from high school locally, mm-hmm. Chilliwack secondary. Yeah. I grew up on reserve until my parents had uh, separated Okay, and then I kind of moved back and forth. Right. So that was around grade four, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. So then when you graduated out of high school, what, what was next? Did you go into construction right after that? Or? No, I went, um, so I started forest firefighting. Okay. So I was forest firefighter for seven summers. Wow. Um, my dad was a faller, so I was a faller on the, on the crew. So I ended up being a dangerous nag faller. But I, was, I went to university right away, no plan. Yeah. <laughs> like, so how long, like at UFE? Or, yeah. yeah. So yeah. how long were you there? On and off. Uh, probably about five, six years, I guess. Okay. And in Just the meantime, like, tree yeah, forest fighting. Yeah. The, the, the general studies major, right? Right. No, right. no, no forever. <laughs> no clue what to. Professional no, student. Yeah. No real focus. And, and I'm not sure why that is. I, you know, I think about it now and what I tell my kids and in trying to really guide them to that place, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't ready for it and yeah. I wasn't as focused until later. Um, and then I ended up 
yeah, I ended up going to um, SFU, and that's where I ended up doing my master's in business there. Okay, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Um, but you were talking like how you can you get it right mm-hmm. um, from both sides. Yeah. And do you like do you find that because just growing up in Chilliwack or like explain to me a little bit more like for myself I've got some First Nations background mm. uh, it's way back there but um, it, it makes you like like you mentioned you, as you're growing up mm. you kind of see things differently and you you see bigger picture of things mm-hmm. um, and so for yourself like being in the Chilliwack community um, like how do you get it from someone like myself that has more of a, a Scottish UK background that obviously like my lineage goes back to like coming over to this country at some point, mm-hmm. taking over wherever. And like, how do you understand like where I'm coming from? Like then born in Canada, several generations in. And I guess I shouldn't say that I understand uh, or that I can understand because I'm not in those shoes, but my mom, from England yeah. comes over. So my ancestors on my mom's side are coming over and yeah. my ancestors on my dad's side. Um, I can't necessarily say that I get it because I wasn't there and, and going through the transition, but I, I think I just, you know, I had a, growing up, you're, you're trying to figure out what your path is. And sometimes it's not a, very clear. Clearly mine wasn't like that uh, early <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, and, and you end up being in this place where some may say you're supposed to be or that you're meant to be. Um, so trying to understand the differences or, or you know, I think that's a hard thing for someone coming from different background. And, and I think that's where I like to focus on the, you know, what we're seeing is the introduction from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. So when we look at that report and we look at some of those recommendations uh, in introducing curriculum to school, schools now, so the history is being taught. Because when I grew up, I didn't hear a thing about residential schools growing. You know, what's the history of Canada? John A. you know, or, or yeah, yeah. What, what are you hearing? And, and we didn't hear that. Now, like my son will come home and tell me that he learned something about the Coast Salish people. And I'm going, yeah, that's those are your people. Yeah. And that would have never happened when I was growing up. And, yeah. and so I think that's the difference that we're starting to see is a lot of people that grew up, say my generation, may say, yeah, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, I had a few First Nations friends growing up. Well, that's a little different. Yeah. Like we didn't talk about those issues growing up mm-hmm. compared to the child now that grows up and says, Oh, did you know what happened at the residential school? Yeah. That is not a, um, there's, there's no way to justify. There's no way to ever think that something like that is okay or that, uh, you know, in, in any place in the world or in any humane society, uh, people should never be treated like that. People, none of that should have ever happened. Uh, so with your son, um, comes home from school and he, he tells you everything that he's learned and, and realizes like this is part of his heritage. He knows. Um, yeah. So, but I'm just yep. saying he comes home and, um, do do you think with the, gen, that, like his generation, um, that there's like an acceptance of the fact this, this did happen. 
this went on, mm-hmm. right? And then just trying to make the proper steps forward now. Like, do you think it's a good thing? Like, do you think there's going to be positivity coming from this now? Like, I do. I, I think there's going to be a level of positivity, but again, I'm not naive to think that. Yeah, there's still stuff going on. There's still stuff going on. There's still uh, parents that think a certain way and, and are going to teach their children the same thing, regardless of of what they're learning in school, and maybe say some hurtful things. Uh, I, I know that's still going to take place, but there's a small shift going to take place, and, and I think that's the important piece here around how we figure out moving forward together in that that relationship building or the, or bridging the gap. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand the funding inequities that have always taken place in the country as well. You look at education, uh, dollars that school, public schools would get per student uh, compared to on-reserve schools didn't change just up until a few years ago. Yeah. Like the huge inequities. Um, the, th- there's a number of different scenarios like that where we get funding for providing service similar to municipal services or, or provincial services in education or federal with land jurisdiction uh, that aren't on par, that, right. that aren't, aren't the same. You know, we're not getting that same recognition. So um, I think as those things start to change and shift, we're, we're seeing uh, people's mindsets shift because they're understanding why. You know, right. why are you upset with the way this agreement is? Why are you upset? Well, here's why. And you can label it out and show somebody. They go, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. One of the things for me that's living in Chilliwack, uh, I'm not from Chilliwack. Um, the First Nations uh, history here is just so deep and mm-hmm. strong. Um, you know, going to different events around town and uh, it just just having the First Nations connection, usually at the beginning of the event to mm-hmm. say, you know, we're, we're on Stolo ground and, um, I, I didn't have that as a kid, right? Like I grew up in the middle of Surrey mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a different environment. So that's one of the things moving to Chilliwack that was, um, opening, mm-hmm. um, and then just learning the history. Like it's, yeah. Well, I, I, this, when you talk to some of the elders, they'll tell you when they tell you their story of growing up, you know, after going through residential school, not being able to speak their language, not being able to practice their culture, potlatch ban, afraid of being who they were. That's re- they'll, they'll, they'll say that. Like they, that at one point, they were afraid to be who they were as what we would say a Huomok person. Um, and, and now, they, when they see young children learning songs at some of our schools, learning to introduce themselves in the Halkamalam language, there's a great sense of pride in the oh, elders to, to go, you know, compared there, they grew up in the shell. It took them forever to kind of come out of it because of how they were treated for being who they are. Right. And so now with this, such a deep rooted, rich history here in Chilliwack, um, when we see the kids, it's just an amazing, you know, sense of pride to, to go, oh, they're, they're proud of who they are and they should be. They should yeah. have never been taught anything differently. And, and, you know, when you hear the elders talk and, and those that had experienced residential schools, that's just a, a beautiful moment for them to really appreciate and say, this is, this is who we are as a people. And, 
and they wish they would have had that growing up, right? Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. So you got anything uh, exciting coming up here that uh, you're working away on? Oh, no, I, I'm getting back into construction. So I got another another project coming up uh, in West Bank. So I'm excited to, to kind of dive into that amongst everything else going on. Yeah. <laughs> because I needed something else to do, um, as my wife would say. No, I, I think the as we, we get older and our kids get older, our focus shifts. Yeah. You know, it's kids sports. It's, it's making sure that they're getting here and there and, and you start to lose time, um, or you lose your own time that, that used to have. So that's, that's a challenge I'm finding these days. We always hear it talked about in, in different circles about work life balance. And that is a tough, tough thing to do. And the more opportunity that comes up and you're asked to participate in things, it's hard to say no because you know it's good work. You know it's gonna yeah p- potentially make a difference, but the self care part is is pretty tough. Well, you you work and then uh, your kids have like their activities, right? Yep. So you're running around for that. Yeah, and then you're just trying to find some time after that to. Yeah, for a while I did I did good. I you know was playing in a band. Uh, played with some friends in the band called the Pacific End and. And that was, you know, that one night a week where I just got to go and and, right. and we played some, played our music. Um, that and that was one of those releases. You know, hockey does that for me, but yeah, now hockey's is finished. Uh, playing a bit of basketball, but uh, I need to really and golf. I love golf, but it's a long. It's yeah, it's a time investment. <laughs> yeah. Really, it takes forever to yeah. get through eighteen holes. Yeah, so we we tee off at you know six seven in the morning, so we got the rest of the day. Right. Yeah. But uh, I find that's one of the toughest challenges, those real work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah. No. Good experience. You know, like I said, my first time doing a podcast. And so uh, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right.